the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Tonight we're going to start chapter 2, chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. And when we went through chapter 1 and even uh, to the very end, we talked about a contrast between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. In this particular section, we're going to talk about a contrast between what man calls knowing and what God calls knowing. Because there's a difference. The thing that we've discovered as we begin to expand, I like using that word instead of grow, if we begin to expand in all that God has given us as as new creations, the thing that we discover is that our definitions change. And what we used to believe about something in the flesh is completely different in the spirit. The wisdom of the flesh is different than the wisdom of the Spirit. The peace of the flesh is different than the peace of the Spirit. One is temporal and based on circumstance. The other is constant and based on Christ. In the flesh, it's based in the body and circumstance. In the Spirit, it's based in the eternal. It's based in Christ. So what you see happening as we go through this is Paul is continually bringing you back to who you are and helping you redefine life according to the Spirit. Because really, that's where we have to live. The conflict that we most often deal with is that contrast between the flesh and the Spirit, and we so want the flesh to be the answer. Because we feel like the flesh is a whole lot more reliable. It's a whole lot more controllable. It's temporal and we can see it, we can touch it, we can feel it. We don't have to approach it by faith. So we continually try to stick our spirituality and our relationship with the Lord in the context of flesh. This is what the Corinthians do. That is the truth of carnality. Whether carnality is a Christian that is literally exploring all of the the appetites of the flesh and the world and entering into sin, or carnality is the Christian who has turned to a man-centered religion and trying to base his relationship with God on what he thinks he is in the flesh. Both of them are carnality. You know what that looks like? 
It looks like a tree that has evil on one side and good on the other. It's still the wrong tree. When we enter into the relationship that we have, we begin to receive life. I came that they might have life. And we have life. Now that life is constant. That life is immovable. That life is unshakable. That life is our reality. And in that life, those definitions change. But where we lose the truth of that life is when we seek to enter into the flesh and live according to the flesh, the contrast it creates in us. We either run harder after the flesh or we forsake it and run to the life, the true life. But we were made for life. Now, getting to our text, two different types of knowing. Somebody were to ask me, if I knew my next door neighbor, Mr. Jones... I would say, sure, I know Mr. Jones. I see Mr. Jones all the time. In fact, we talk occasionally. I go out and and talk to him while he's picking up his mail. Uh, When his dog gets out, I put him up. And I've watched his house when he goes on vacation. Yeah, I know Mr. Jones. But do I know him? Would I be delivering his eulogy at his funeral? Would I be able to tell you about his goals his desires, his strengths, his weaknesses? Would I be able to tell you how he would react in any given situation? Have I shared his pain? Have I shared his happiest days? Do I really know him? Have I really lived life with Mr. Jones? No, I haven't. So do I know Mr. Jones? No, I really don't know Mr. Jones. And you say, well, that's a pretty obvious illustration. Well, yes, it is. But it is, it is one that we miss all the time. Because we say... I would say to you, do you know Jesus? And most any Christian would think, he's talking about salvation. Why, sure, I know Jesus. He died for me. He, you know, he resurrected from the grave. He gave me life eternal. I know Jesus. But do I really know Jesus? Have I lived life with Jesus? Has he shared my highs and my lows? Has he walked with me moment by moment? Has he been there in the midst of my laughter and in the midst of my tears? Has he been part of my life? The reality is the old Christian idea of knowing Jesus isn't really knowing Jesus. It's belonging to him, I'll give you that. But is it really knowing him? Paul indicates that there are two types of knowing. Scriptures indicate that there's two types of knowing. And the issue that the Corinthians face is that they've fallen away from truly knowing their Savior. And now they know about their Savior. They came in, they got the quick course, they know, they know the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christian. They may, they know all, they may know all the scripture that was available that day. They may be scholars in the Word of God. They may have actually experienced spiritual experiences. They may show up at church every time the doors open. They may be a part of every kind of ministry. But does that mean that they know Him? No. This is also one of the biggest issues in modern Christianity. Is that you have millions of Christians out there. If you were to ask them if they know Jesus, they would say they know him. If you were to ask them, what do you know? 
How do you know him? They would tell you about him. But what you would see is a real separation between their day-to-day living and the reality of their lives and the truth of our Savior. You would see a division. Why? Because they have an understanding of who Jesus is, but they never by faith entered into the reality of who He is and experienced that intimacy, except in the very low places, or maybe even some of the high ones. In the tough places, in the diff- at marriage, or at divorce, or at sickness, or, or at the need of a job. They knew Jesus in that one moment where they came to Him and said, Lord, help me. But is that knowing Him? Not really. It's not the knowing that God wants for us. And if you do not walk in the truth, moment by moment, by faith, knowing Him, then you will fall into carnality. Because this world, this body, this temporal reality will be more real to you than Jesus ever will be. Does that make sense to you? Let's look at chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. And I want to remind you of some things that we talked about last week. The Spirit of God through Paul is seeking to bring the Corinthian fellowship back into truth. They have become man-centered in their living and the way they live. There's all manner of carnality being practiced in their church, although... Some of it might even have been with religious ideas in mind. They have begun to divide themselves and follow different leaders and teachers. And as I've said before, the flesh always divides. Whenever you find division in the body of Christ, flesh is involved. Because the flesh and the spirit only coexist in the sense that the flesh is covering us. That's it. There's all manner of carnality, there's division... And the Spirit of God through Paul is reminding, of them, reminding them of who they are in Christ. Why? Why is he going there? Because as we said last week, what is needed here is repentance. Y'all remember what repentance is, right? A returning to truth. And it's not you being separated from truth. It's you literally turning your back on truth. You're not separated from truth. You're never separated from Christ as life. You simply turn your back on the reality of it. You ignore it. You say, well, how can you ignore something when it is attached, when it is your re- when it is uh, in union with you? Well, how many of you have thought about your little toe tonight? Are you thinking about it now? I bet you are. But you weren't thinking about it a minute ago. Do you think about it as you go into the grocery store? Well, if you have an injured toe, you probably think about it all the time. But the reality of it is most of us don't give it another thought. It goes in the sock and it disappears. Right? Or for you ladies in the, in the slipper or whatever. Christ is our reality. But He doesn't necessarily have to be our life in the way we live. Okay? So, in order to return to truth, in order to repent, we must start with who we are. That We must start with our identity. Repentance begins when we return to who we are, not when we change our behavior. Do you get that? Repentance begins when we return to who we are, not when we change our behavior. Now, so what do you mean by that? 
When I return to who I am, I return to the truth of who I am in Christ. As I stand in Christ, I recognize what about my sin? It doesn't suit me. It doesn't suit me. It's not who I am. It literally is me acting out of the truth, outside of the truth. So when I enter back into the truth of who I am, I see sin for what it is, and then true repentance can take place. I return to who I am. That in itself is repentance. I enter, in effect, into my right mind. Okay? Now, if you put the cart before the horse and you believe repentance is stopping the behavior, you get into the cycle that most people get into, and that is this. Here... Todd is, and Todd's sinful behavior has separated him, at least in fellowship from God. I want to repent of all of the sins so that I can return, and Todd can return back to fellowship, and God will somehow receive me back. But the issue is this, I identify with the sin, The sin is my sin. So I am fighting who? Me. I'm fighting me. And I'm pleading before God to do what? Change me. Change me, Lord, so that I will not sin. That, as I said before, is a prayer of unbelief. What more could God do? Has He not made you a new creation? Has He not made you righteous, holy, and consecrated before Him? Does He not see you as you are in Christ Jesus? And you're calling out to Him, change me? That doesn't make any sense, does it? You see how far off the beam we get in Christian superstition? We call out to Him for Him to change us, when in reality what we need to do is by faith embrace who we are so that repentance can begin. And how does it begin? Paul said, forgetting what is behind, I press forward towards the goal. The high calling of Christ Jesus. What is the high calling of Christ Jesus? It's you. It's your life in Him. It's you living as the body of Christ. Can you get a higher calling than that? That's what Paul's talking about. What does that mean that we're not supposed to be sorry for our sin? Listen, sin does not suit you. Christ paid the penalty. The problem is that we want to make sure that we are penitent and punished. Well, I'm sorry. If you wanted to be punished for your sin, you should have never gotten saved. Because Jesus took it all. He took it all. Now, if you decide you want to pursue sin, you know what I say? Go ahead. Get all you want. Because it's worked so well for everybody else, you can see. Look at Hollywood, you know, they're doing really well. Go ahead, pursue it. Get all you want. The reality of it is, if you're a child of God, it will continually destroy you. It will take life from you. It will literally erode your vision of life to a very small little hole. Where you're just looking through the fence... Hoping to get a glimpse of hope. It's not life. It's prolonged death is what it is. It's existence. Repentance is returning to who you are in truth by faith. 
The wisdom of God through Jesus Christ changed who we are in order to deliver us from the power of sin. So we, by faith, must return to who we are in order to live in victory. Well, you see, the issue is that if you are not living in the truth of who you are, you are not living in the victory that that new creation was born into. Your perception of life is fleshy. So you've got the highs and the lows of circumstances, of health, of of situations, of relationships. And you are riding that roller coaster. When it's up, you're good. When it's down, you're bad. That's not victory. Victory is recognizing that we are in a place of exaltation and praise. That we are literally in the presence of the Lord 24-7. That we walk with Him. That as my son said earlier, everything works together for our good. That's not delusion, that's the reality of the Christian. If we don't enter into it, we enter into the delusion the world has, which says if you've got enough, you're good. If you have more of it, you're better than the guy who's got less. If you have the right relationship, you're living well. If you have the right number of kids, the right car, the right amount of money in your bank account, the right haircut, if the body looks good, you're good. That's the world's reality. And the reality they have to deal with is that you can't always have those things, and the body is dying Little by little. And you look better today than you will tomorrow. And you'll see that in years. And there is not enough plastic surgeons in the world to make you young again. All right. Paul makes it clear that these Corinthians did not receive Christ through worldly wisdom or philosophy. But through preaching. The preaching of the person of Jesus Christ. And him crucified. First Corinthians one twenty three says, We preach Christ, the Messiah, crucified, preaching which to the Jews is a scandal and an offensive stumbling block that springs a snare or trap. And to the Gentiles, it's absurd. It's utterly unphilosophical nonsense. Now, in order for them to return to truth, they must return to the truth of their new birth. They were not saved by the wisdom of man. Understand this, that if you are not following Christ, you're following flesh, whether it's yours or somebody else. That's the reality of it. You're either living and living according to the flesh, or you're living according to the Spirit. There's no middle ground. You can't can't come into some kind of hybrid. The direction of your life goes one way or the other. They did not receive Christ through knowledge. It was through the Spirit of God giving them revelation of who Jesus is and His saving work. Do you see the truth of that? We pass over it and we read it and we say it all the time. Yeah, I received Jesus when I had the revelation of Christ through the Spirit of God. Yeah, I know that. But now I got Him. And really the the emotional picture there is that God came along with the Spirit and planted a seed in you that made you His child and ran off and left. And the Spirit visits on occasion in power. That's the emotional picture you hear. But the reality of it is that when He made you a spiritual creature, He designed you to live as a spiritual creature. No more as flesh. Even though that is your experience, even though in your mind it is your history, even though it is the way you've learned to cope in life, it is what you see all around you, you were not designed to live from the flesh. Now that doesn't sound like 
it's any big revelation. But I got to tell you, God has to shake me up and remind me of that quite often. When I get disappointed, when I get fearful, when I get angry, God has to remind me of what? Who I am. Who I am. He uh, reminds them of the life that they received in 1 Corinthians verse 30. And he says to them, But it is from Him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom from God, revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation, previously hidden, manifesting itself as our righteousness, thus making us upright, and putting us in right standing with God, and our consecration, making us pure and holy, and our redemption, providing our ransom from penalty for sin. That's who you are. That's who you are. Why are you following after flesh? Why are you seeking to make yourself significant in flesh? This is the truth. We were made in His image as a new creation. Paul is telling them, you didn't gain life through the teaching of any man. You do not owe your salvation to the wisdom of flesh, but Christ alone. Your salvation is in Him, and it is in Him that you have your life. That life is complete. Notice that when he introduces them to the truth of that life, he also introduces them to the, he also reminds them of the completeness of it. He didn't say you're becoming righteous. He didn't say you're becoming more pure and more holy. He says you are, you are, you are, you are. He is to you, he is to you, he is to you. Current, present tense, continuous, which means it never changes. Well, why did he go that route? Because you have to return to who you are before you can repent. Before you can begin to live in truth. You are, you are, you are. Now listen, as I pointed out before, he knows very well what they're up to. He knows what they've been doing. He knows how they've been living. And yet, he makes this declaration of them. Well, can't he see their behavior? Doesn't he understand that what they're doing is not good? Absolutely. Then how in the world can he call this bunch righteous and holy and consecrated? They're not living that way because he sees them the way God sees them. According to their birth, not according to their behavior. This life is complete. Christianity is not knowing about him. It is not an intellectual exercise. It is a spiritual reality that is experienced by faith. Now, let's look at our text. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We'll start with the first two verses. He says, As for myself, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony and evidence of or mystery and secret of God concerning what he has done through Christ for the salvation of men, in lofty words of eloquence or human philosophy and wisdom. For I resolved to know nothing, to be acquainted with nothing, to make a display of nothing, and to be conscious of nothing among you except Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and Him crucified. Well, Paul, what are your qualifications to minister to the second greatest city in the known world? What are your qualifications for entering into the mission field, into the darkest area in the known world? What are your qualifications for leading these people, the intellectually rich, the philosophically strong, and the prosperous and the degradant behavior of these people? What, what qualifies you to go in there and minister and to start a church and to speak to these people? 
How can you go in there? What arrogance are you carrying in you that makes you think that you could possibly minister to this group of people? He said, well, I'll tell you. This is the way it is. I uh, know nothing. I am uh, acquainted with nothing. I really don't have anything to display. In fact, I'm not conscious of anything except that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and he was crucified. Well, I bet the pulpit committee would run. Don't you think? No. Paul's coming in, naked, as it were, transparent, to let them see the truth of who he is, so that they might know the truth of who they are. You see, he's, he's setting aside, we'll go over it again, he's setting aside every credential of the flesh. He stripped himself down to nothing in order for them to see the truth of who He is spiritually, who Christ is spiritually, who they are spiritually. Paul is reminding them of the contrast between the way the Spirit brought them to truth through Him versus all of the excellent oratory and human wisdom that they had heard espoused around them. Paul's approach to them wasn't man-centered, It was a humble expression of truth that God had put in him. Paul didn't present them with what he knew about Jesus, but he presented them with the very person of Christ as Savior. It was a Spirit-empowered testimony of a personal experience. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.